0: Well, if you'll remain standing with me for the reading of God's Word. Tonight, we're going to start in Matthew 26, and we're going to find ourselves in a various texts as we trace the theme of the Lord's Supper through the Scripture. But let's start with Jesus and His words to His disciples in the upper room, Matthew 26, starting in verse 26. It says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread I tell you that I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And we'll stop there and have a seat. Tonight we're going to talk about this this thing we call communion. Oftentimes it's called the Lord's Supper. Tonight we're going to talk about what I consider the greatest meal that any of us have this side of heaven. that's that's a reality i mean think about great meals that you've had who who loves thanksgiving dinner if you're hands down you're a liar i mean thanksgiving dinner is incredible Or, or maybe there's a restaurant that you love going to with your family and when you go and you feast there you 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 love your meal but but meals are so much more than what you eat aren't they when you go and you sit down and you have a meal, you certainly are going to you're going to experience the the nutrition from the food you eat, right? your, your meat and then the other meat, and then the other meat, right? And maybe some vegetables on there, or, uh, you know you're going to experience whatever nutrition it is that you, you have. But typically at a meal, there's so much more than the food that strengthens you. Think about the conversations you have. Think about the laughter with friends. Think about the conversations. Think about the things you learn about other people or about other concepts. Think about the friendship that you bond as you break bread together. You see, just like, just like a regular meal strengthens you, physically but it strengthens you in so many more ways tonight i want us to look at at communion at the lord's supper and i want us to see together how it strengthens us in fact our big idea tonight very simply is this the lord's supper is a feast where the saints are strengthened by god's grace When we gather and we share in the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper is a feast where the saints are strengthened by God's grace. Now, the context here of of Matthew chapter 26 is it's Jesus's last supper. Jesus's ministry on earth is about to come to an end. He has traveled throughout all of the region teaching and preaching like no one that they've ever seen before. He's described as one with, with real authority. He has performed miracle after miracle after miracle, all of them testifying to the reality that he is God in the flesh, the Son of God here on earth. He's led an amazing life and now he is gathered in what's called the upper room with his disciples, his closest friends, his closest followers, and he gathers there for the Passover meal for his last meal. And as he gathers with them, he says after the meal, he, he takes this bread, and he breaks it. And he says, the strangest thing, this is my body. And then he takes the cup and he he pours it and he passes it around and he says something even stranger, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. And his disciples, they share in it. They share in it in a way that doesn't, doesn't actually say, oh, I'm, I'm eating flesh, it's, it's human meat that I'm eating. Oh, I'm, I'm drinking blood, it's human blood. No, no, he's speaking metaphorically, he's speaking symbolically here. But, but he shares with them this incredible meal. And believers have been doing this for 2,000 years since. What connection do you have to that meal 2,000 years ago? You ever wondered as we gather for communion and and kind of said, what is the actual point of this? I imagine some in this room, you've been following Christ for a long time, and you're like, Mike, I know the point of this. Well, that's wonderful. Tonight, I hope that this encourages you as we remember together. But I imagine there's some in this room, and you wonder, is this just some religious tradition or maybe you're here listening or, or even watching online and, and you're asking yourself the question, is this something that I have to do if I am going to be saved? Is, this, is, this, is my salvation, is my heaven, is my relationship with God, is it dependent upon this? Or maybe you're asking the question, Who who, who should take communion? Who is this really for? You, tonight... Tonight, we're going, to, we're going to wrestle with this, this wonderful meal. We are going to, to look at this incredible feast. We're going to do it together. And as we do, we're going to answer some of those questions. But, but the big idea is worth repeating again. See, the Lord's Supper is a feast where the saints are strengthened by God's grace. Tonight, if you're here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, my hope for you is you get this this double helping on your platter of God's word tonight that you feast on his word, and then you end up feasting on this Lord's Supper in a way that strengthens you. Now, if you're here tonight and you're not sure you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, I hope tonight brings some clarity for you my prayer this evening is, is it brings some clarity and some understanding so you can understand your approach to the Lord's table and whether you should or not. So, so with that said, let's talk through how the Lord's Supper, how it strengthens the saints. Let's talk about that. We're gonna, I, I mentioned earlier, we're going to be in a variety of scriptures, but would you open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11? We're going to start here, and much of what we talk about tonight is going to be from here. And so if you want to keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 11 throughout the night, that would be a great idea. Now, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles under most of the chairs, and so you're welcome to grab one of those. In fact, if you don't have a Bible that's yours, we would love to give that to you. We would love for you to have that as a gift. But go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians 11, and as we turn there together— Let's start with the first way, the Lord's Supper strengthens the saints with the grace of God. Here's the first way. At the Lord's Supper, we are strengthened as we remember. At the Lord's Supper, simply put, we are strengthened as we remember. Tonight, is a, it's an exercise in remembering. It's an exercise in remembering. Now, what are we supposed to remember? Some of you guys are trying to remember your grocery shopping list for after service tonight, right? That's not the thing I want you to remember tonight. Here's what I want you to remember tonight. We're going to look at two things in specific. First of all, we are going to remember that Jesus redeems. When we come to the Lord's table, the very first thing we remember, really the second thing is going to be connected to it, is that Jesus, he redeems, that he rescues, that he saves. Let me show you what I mean. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. Open it up with me. Let's read it together. Here's what God's Word said. The Apostle Paul is writing here, and here's what he writes. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. Sound familiar? And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Now do me a favor, if you have your own Bible and, and you, you're someone who's willing to write in it a little bit, and it's okay to write in your Bible, by the way. Circle that word remembrance. It's in there twice. See, so, You see, we remember that Jesus, he, he's done this thing called redeemed us. Now, Paul, when he's writing, he's talking about how he received these instructions from the Lord. This might be a strange thing if you think about the timeline of the New Testament. Because when Jesus was walking on earth, Paul, he was not a follower, when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry, Paul was actually, he was, he was an up-and-coming Pharisee. He was someone who would oppose the likes of Jesus. And Paul had a dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus. But But if you turn and you read that story, Jesus didn't instruct Paul on communion on the Lord's Supper there. Paul actually tells us in Galatians chapter 1 that after Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, he went to the desert of Arabia and then to the Damascus. And for three years, he didn't go and in interact with the other apostles. For three years, he actually went and, and during that time, at least a portion of that time, he, he was discipled by the resurrected Christ he, he, he was instructed by the Lord Jesus. And so what he writes right here, he's saying, I, I am passing on to you what I actually received from the Lord Jesus after he was converted. And, and he uses the same themes here. He says, the bread. What is the bread? It's a symbol of Jesus's body that was broken. And then he says the cup or the wine. What is the cup? It's a, it's a symbol of Jesus's blood that was shed on our behalf. And Paul uses this word remembrance. Yeah, as a nation, we're we're a nation that's pretty good at having remembrances, right? We, we just had one, the 4th of July. Or Labor Day. Or Memorial Day. Or Thanksgiving. We have, we have a host of holidays, and each of them really are days to remember. But have you ever asked someone on Labor Day, say... What are you remembering today? Have you ever quizzed someone on Memorial Day and said, what is it that you have this day off for and had them kind of look at you blankly and say, uh, um, uh, well, uh, America. (laughs) You see, how often do people celebrate a day of remembrance completely disconnected from its actual purpose? How often do we say, uh (laughs) It's a national remembrance. Come on over to my house. Let's have a barbecue. Or you know what? I can catch up on some of the chores that I have to do around the house. See, so often we do the same thing when we approach the Lord's table. This is meant to be a moment of remembrance where we stop and say, what is it that Jesus has done? What is it that this moment means? And just like someone stuttering when we ask him, what is Memorial Day or what is Labor Day? Just like someone stuttering in that moment, sometimes we can approach this moment, the Lord's table, the greatest meal we'll ever have, this side of heaven, and we can approach it with a cavalier or an insincere mindset where we forget price that was paid when we talk about this redemption it reminds me of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, when Paul is, Paul is launching into this, this magisterial description of all of the blessings that are yours in the heavenly places because you are in Christ Jesus. He's listing out how, how you've been predestined and how you have an inheritance, but in the middle of it, he's talking about Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. Ephesians 1, verse 7, it says, In Him we have redemption we have redemption through his blood in the the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace it says his blood through his blood we have redemption now let's just pause for one moment and let's just remember this word redemption what it means the word redemption, it's technically, it means to buy out of the slave market of sin. It is the picture of you and I standing on a block in chains. We are enslaved to sin, and there's nothing that you and I can do about it. We can't be good enough. We can't try hard enough. There's no making it up, there's no extra credit. We, we are captive to sin, we are slaves. And Jesus come and he, he comes, and he doesn't offer a, a million dollars. Jesus comes, and he doesn't offer a gold bar. Jesus comes, and it says he redeems us. He buys us out of the slave market of sin with his blood, through his sacrifice. See, this is, this is what communion really remembers, It remembers the reality, the historical moment when when Jesus, the real living person, was, was drug outside of the city limits, was nailed to a cross, was lifted up until he breathed his last, and on that bloody cross gave his life to pay the price for your sin and for mine. He was buried. And on the third day, by the power of God, he was resurrected so that everyone who believes in him, in his death and resurrection, as the perfect, sinless Son of God, is redeemed. Is redeemed. And so this moment of communion, this moment of remembrance is a moment where we remember that Jesus redeems. Listen very carefully. You are not saved by eating this bread. You are not saved by drinking of this cup. You can go grab anyone off the street, come, and you can fill them with bread tonight, and you can fill them with the cup tonight, and it won't do a single thing for their soul. No, we are saved through Jesus in his death and resurrection by faith in that truth alone. And then we come to the table and remember, we remember that Jesus redeems But you want to know what? It it goes even deeper than this. Because we don't just remember that Jesus redeems. We also remember that Jesus fulfills. We also remember that Jesus fulfills. You see, when Jesus is in the upper room, you remember what he's doing in that moment? He is celebrating what's called the Passover. He he is celebrating, he's having a remembrance of God in the moment in history when God rescued his people Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He's actually celebrating one of the most significant Jewish holidays that existed. Passover is the moment when when the angel of God, the angel of death, went through all of Egypt and killed the firstborn of every household, from rich to poor, including livestock, of anyone who did not have a specific marker over their doorpost. Can we just read that story? If you want to keep your, your finger in, in, in 1 Corinthians 11 and turn with me all the way back to Exodus Genesis, Exodus, the very second book of the Bible. Turn all the way back to Exodus chapter 12. Let's, let's just let's just take a moment and, and hear what Jesus was remembering this night of the Passover. Exodus chapter 12. <clears throat> I'm just going to read I'm just going to read the instructions, 1 through 13. It says and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt This month shall be for you the beginning of months and it shall be the first month of the year for you Tell all the congregation in Israel that on the 10th day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their fathers houses <clears throat> a lamb for a household and if the household is too small for a lamb, then he is too, and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. The lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lamb at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with the unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head and its legs and inner parts. And you... you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute ju- my judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. We'll stop right here. This is, this is the culmination of the 10 plagues And at the very pinnacle, this 10th plague, God is judging Egypt. He's not just judging Egypt. He's judging all of their pagan, false gods, all of the things that they have put their hope in. And this moment is what Jesus and his disciples are remembering in that upper room. In fact, Paul, Paul makes a connection to this very reality of the Passover lamb, You see, First Corinthians, Paul is. uh, Let me just tell you, he he is he is correcting this church in some very serious ways. This church in Corinth, Paul is writing a letter to them because they have gone off the rails in a number of moral ways that do not bring honor or glory to God and their Savior at all. And so if you look with me in in chapter 5, he is actually, he is in chapter 5 correcting them for sexual sin that exists within the church. He's saying this should not be among you at all. And we don't have all the details, but for some reason or somehow they're actually... Prideful of it, they actually think it's a, it's a good thing. And so, in chapter five, he is correcting them, and he uses some language. He uses the language of leaven. You know what leaven is? It's like yeast that you put into dough. It, it helps the dough rise, but you only have to use a little bit because it it permeates the entire dough. Right? He he is saying that they have gotten some leaven in themselves. In the form of a person that is unrepentant in their sin, in the form of their attitudes and the way they're thinking about sinful behavior. Now, I want you to notice the way he talks about leaven, but I also want you to notice in this passage the, the label that he gives to Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 6 through 8. He, here's what he says. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Do you not know that a little bit of sin can end up permeating the entire church? He says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Time out. Unleavened bread is what the Israelites ate on the night of the Passover. He is drawing a connection. He, he is hinting at it. He is tethering it out. He is teasing it. And now, verse 8, or, or the end of verse 7, he says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed He's not teasing anymore. He, he is making an overt and obvious connection. He's saying, remember how Israel, how they had the Passover lamb and they put the blood on the doorposts as a symbol, as a covering, so that they would be passed over with God's judgment. He's saying, now Jesus, he's our Passover lamb. Jesus' blood is now what covers us. Verse 8, <clears throat> Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and envy, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What do we remember? We remember that Jesus, not only does he redeem, but he is actually the fulfillment of of this event that happened all the way back in Exodus where he fulfills as the true Passover lamb. You know what this is meant to do? This is meant to strengthen you. As you stop and you remember the glory and the majesty of Christ, as you stop and you remember the price that was paid, as you stop and you remember what you deserve in the judgment that Christ took for you, this is meant to strengthen you as you remember. But, but we're not done. Not only does it strengthen you as you remember, but at the Lord's Supper, we are also strengthened in unity. This isn't just a moment where you come and it's just you and Jesus, your BFF. This is a moment where you and I, where we come and we look around at each other and we're meant to be strengthened in unity. You see, we're, we're, first of all, we unite as one body in Christ. We unite as one body in Christ. You see, this is the ideal. The ideal is that in sharing communion, we look around at one another and we know that we are now in a room full of people with which we are on the same page when you look around, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to recognize that you're in a room of people that they, they have put the entirety of their hope not in their ability to try harder, not in their ability to be better. They have put their entire hope not in their wealth or not in their intellect, not in their good looks or anything else earthly. They have put their entire hope in the crucified, buried, and risen Savior. 1 Corinthians, one chapter previously, uh, chapter 10, verse 17, Paul says this, he says, Because there is one bread, Jesus, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. You realize the church is something marvelous, don't you? When you go to work, you might have suspicions about the people you work with. Do they really have my back? Do they really care for me? Will they really look out for me when the times get difficult? But when you come to church, you should know that you're part of one body. Some of us in our families, we have families, and and we look around in our families, and we say, man, I don't think I can count on this person. Or we, we have families that, that when we gather with them, we, we've got to kind of keep turning around watching our back because we're just waiting for that knife to come. I know that some of us have families like that. But when you come to church, these people that are not related biologically are related now by what? By the blood of Christ. See, we, we unite as one body. But, but let me say something kind of strange. As we dig into this, <clears throat> we unite as those divided. That not kind of funny, right? Let me show you what I mean. We unite as those divided. According to the scripture, turning back to 1 Corinthians 11, according to the scripture, there is a godly division that exists and there is an ungodly division that exists. But let's talk about the godly division that exists first. <clears throat> Verses 18 and 19. It says, For... This is talking about communion. This is talking about the Lord's Supper. This is talking about when the church gathers. He says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, look at this strange verse, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Paul is going to talk about a lot of other things regarding communion, but, but he In just a very small way, he reminds us that there is actually a godly division that is meant to exist between the church and the world. He says that we are divided. There's, there's supposed to be a faction because we're supposed to be divided from those who, who do not believe. Now, this does not mean that you go and you put your head in the sand and you'd never interact with those who are not believers. Other places in this very letter, he actually says the opposite of that. that that's not the point here. But he, he, what he's saying is communion is a moment that distinguishes those who are in Christ from those who are outside of Christ and those who are in the world. The word he uses is the word Genuine. This word can be translated approved or tried and true. It can be, it's the idea of you are sincere or that you've proven yourself. You see, communion is a moment when we gather together, when we share the bread, and when we share the cup, that there is a marked difference because this is something that's for those who are in Christ. We, We are different from the world, and when we share in communion, it's one of the chief markers. That, that's, the, that's the godly division, but what about the ungodly division? God says there should be division uh, for, as the, the church gathers, but, but there's an ungodly division that existed in this church that, that we, need to, we need to wrestle with. Verses or 20 through 22. He says, when you come together, <clears throat> it is not for the Lord's supper that you eat, For in eating, each of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you for this? No, I will not. Here's what's happening here. The context is what what would be called a love feast. Let me translate that into the 21st century Baptist parlance. The context is a good old potluck. They gather together, and they gather together for a meal, for a community to meal, but when they do, there's factions. There's some people who want to eat with them, with other people, but they, they, they want to leave others out. There's some that they come, and they eat everything before anyone else gets there, and there's others, and the first thing they do is they go over to the wine, and they drink as much of it as they can, and then there are some who are economically maybe maybe of a lower class, and they come, and they have very little with them, and when they show up, it's like that they're not even welcomed to the table. And Paul says, shall I commend you in this? No. That's not the way it's meant to be. That's not how the church is meant to treat one another. We're not meant to have some of us run to the line like starved middle school boys at the expense of others. There's some tragic language here. He says their behavior, their divisive behavior at the Lord's Supper, it says that they despise the church and humiliate those with nothing. Let me boil it down. Here's how they're approaching the Lord's Supper. They're approaching the Lord's Supper only thinking of themselves. The simplest terms, they're being selfish. And their selfishness is displayed in outright sinfulness. As they ignore and disregard one another, their actions lead them to despise the body, to despise the bride of Christ, to despise the ones that Jesus died for. And in the process, those who are of lesser standing, they're hung out to dry they're humiliated instead of caring for the least of these they're disregarded and humiliated shall shall i commend you in this no no i will not this is the wrong kind of division now let me skip ahead because he gets to the solution the solution is in verses 33 and 34. He says, so then, there, there's a lot that happens between now and then. We'll get to that in a moment. But he says, so then, my brothers, <clears throat> when you come to eat, wait for one another. What a novel concept. Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let them eat at home, <laughs> so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things I will give you directions when I come. Paul says, let me me tell you the right way to, to have communion. Let me tell you how you're meant to approach the Lord's table and the Lord's supper. Do it selflessly. Come gather in this moment looking out for one another, not looking out for yourself. This produces true unity. You know what this unity is meant to look like when we share in communion? We look around the room and we say things like, "I remember praying for Bethany in her need." And she looks around, and she says, "I remember these people praying for me." We say, "I, I, I remember when Jeff was there for me in that moment when I needed some help, really bad. And he had my back. We say, I know Penny. I can call her, and in an instant, she'll do whatever she can to be there for me. This is what it looks like when we come to the Lord's table and we are strengthened in unity. When we're unified around the table and around the supper, it is a strengthening experience. You, you see we're strengthened by the Lord's Supper when we remember Christ, but we're strengthened also by the Lord's Supper when we share and we gather together in unity. This is why you don't go home and take the Lord's Supper by yourself. This is why your small group doesn't go and let's go have small group Lord's Supper. This is the gathering of the church in unity remembering and being strengthened. Let's keep going. <clears throat> At the Lord's Supper, we're strengthened as we remember. At the Lord's Supper, we're strengthened in unity. But what else? At the Lord's Supper, we are strengthened with assurance. We're strengthened with assurance. Hey, let me ask you, any Christians here that battle sin? One brave soul. The rest of you, I know. I know the truth. Any of you still fail? Anyone beside me that still fails? I do. What does it mean when we sin and then come to the Lord's table? What does sin signify in your life? When you sin, are you suddenly not a Christian anymore? Oh, you blew it. Bummer for you. When you sin, have you lost your salvation? Absolutely not. No. See, what do you do as someone who's trying to walk in light of the gospel... And as someone who battles and sometimes fails in your battle against sin, you know what communion does? It strengthens us with assurance as we are in the middle of this battle. Let me show you what I mean. The Apostle John answers this very question. 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. He says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Look at this. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from some sin. Wait, that's not what it says. Cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Listen, you're trying to walk in light, and yet you're struggling with sin. That's verse 7, and that's verse 8. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look at this tension. Verse 7, walking in light. Verse 8, The reality that you have sinned. This is the tension that we walk in. And you know what we find in the middle of that tension? The blood of Jesus. Do you you know what we find ourselves remembering when we come to the moment of communion? The body and the blood of Jesus. Jesus. See, communion, it is meant to be a glorious moment of assurance for the believer in Christ who comes to the table and says, Lord, I need your grace. Lord, you know that I struggle. Lord, you know that I battle. You know my sinful words and my sinful actions and my sinful attitudes, and I come to you again falling flat on my face recognizing that if not for you i would be hopeless and helpless this is what communion is communion is a moment of strengthening as you remember the assurance that you that you have in christ it makes me think of john chapter 6 verse verse 54 i had planned to do a ton of john 6 tonight i just couldn't fit it in so, so let me summarize Jesus' words <clears throat> as he gives one of his hardest teachings as he's walking on earth. This is something he says that causes many of those following him to turn away. They turn away. John chapter 6, verse 54, Jesus says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus wasn't standing there saying, okay, guys, come take a bite. He, he, he here is talking metaphorically about having a radical faith in Him, putting the, your entire the entirety of your trust in Him. This is His radical call to believe, to have faith in Him and in His sacrifice. He's explaining it in the most symbolic of ways, but but look at what He promises in that text. Look at what He promises. We look at him saying, feed on my flesh and drink my blood. And it's like, oh, yeah, I, I don't even like it when I bleed in my hand if a paper cut. And he wants me to come drink it. But look at his promises when you're willing to put your faith in his death and his resurrection. Did you catch him in there? Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has what? Eternal life. What else does he promise? And... I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus promises you life and resurrection through your faith, through your trust in his death and resurrection. When we take the bread and when we take the cup, we are remembering the assurance we have in Christ, not in your ability to be good enough, Not in your ability to try harder, not in your ability to stop sinning in and of yourself. You'll never be good enough, you'll never try hard enough, and you'll never stop sinning. We are remembering in this moment that Jesus' sacrifice paid the price in full. If I was one of those singing pastors, I would belt out blessed assurance In this moment, Jesus is mine. This is how we are strengthened. Let me give you one more briefly, and then I want to answer a few different questions. This last one, I'm just going to be brief. But the Lord's Supper, we are strengthened as we remember. We are strengthened in unity. We are strengthened with assurance. And at the Lord's Supper, we are strengthened as we proclaim This is the last, but this is one of my favorites. Back to chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. Verse twenty three through verse twenty six. We've visited this before, but I want us to I want us to read it again, and I want us to land on verse twenty six w- with our with our eyes completely fixed on every word, with our ears wide open, listening, with everything pointed at what verse twenty six says. Let's get a running start. Verse twenty three. He says, "For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that He was betrayed," you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You realize when we share communion together, when the church shares communion together, you are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. You realize what we're about to do is a better sermon you are going to preach a better sermon than I could ever stand up here and preach. That's how significant this moment is. When the church gathers and rightly observes the death and resurrection of Christ by coming to the table, breaking bread and drinking of the cup, we proclaim we we call out the reality that jesus has died to pay the price for our sins <clears throat> this is meant to strengthen you this is meant to nourish you and, and so then here's my next question who then comes to the table who can come to the table in this moment Do we just start walking around downtown and say, hey, you want some of Jesus' body? Hey, you want some of Jesus? Is there a line? Is this just for anyone? Let's just answer this question honestly according to the Scripture. Let's, Let's be very forthright with what God's Word says. Let's commit right now to say, what does God's Word say beyond what are my feelings about this? What does God's word say beyond what I would like to say? Who can come to the Lord's table? Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged <clears throat> but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. Why? So that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About other things, I will give directions when I come. Scripture teaches Some challenging things here. Verse 27, it describes someone coming to the Lord's table and sharing in the blood and in the bread, the cup and the bread, in a way that is unworthy. The word unworthy here is, it's the idea of unable or unwilling to acknowledge the value and the worth of this moment. In a sense, All of us are unworthy, right? Let's get that out of the way. In a sense, all of us are unworthy of God's love and grace, yet he has made us worthy by saving us in Jesus. This is not talking about that idea. This is saying, I'm going to come to the table and I'm not going to acknowledge the significance of this moment. I'm going to be cavalier or nonchalant. I'm going to be flippant. I'm not going to be serious about this moment. I'm not going to allow the significance and the weight to be recognized. I'm just going to go through the motions. Or, or, or I'm going to come in a way that, that does not honor the one who died and rose again. What does it look like to be truly unworthy here? Well, let me answer that The the flip flip side way. To be worthy, first of all, the requirement is to be a believer. See, see, communion is for believers and believers only. Let's just start here with this plain truth. If you have yet to trust in Jesus and his death and resurrection, it is impossible for you to come to this moment in a way that is worthy. It's impossible. Look at verse 29. if you have yet to trust in Jesus this this is a weighty moment if you come and you say, I'm going to observe communion. I'm going I'm to put on my Christian mask. I'm going to act like I'm a Christian. I want my wife or my husband, husband to think so. I want my parents to think I'm a believer in this moment. So I'm just going to, you know, everyone else is doing it. So I'm just going to do it as well. Look at what it says about that person in this moment. Verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. It's completely incongruous to come to this moment not trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection and then sharing in communion because in that moment, you know what you're doing? You're saying, I believe that judgment is coming and instead of having that judgment laid fully on the death and resurrection of Christ, I'm eating and I'm drinking and I'm just saying, God, come bring all your judgment down upon me. Don't do that. Now, I don't know your heart. I was with a group of eight other pastors this week, all week long. One point, someone asked the question, do you believe that there are people that you don't know, uh, aren't saved, that come to your church and act like you're saved? Every single one of them said yes. From all over the United States. We're really good at deceiving ourselves and deceiving other people. But if you have not trusted in Jesus and his death and resurrection, listen very carefully. This is not meant to point at you. This is not meant to make you feel guilty. This is not meant to condemn you. I'm not trying to kick dirt on you. This is an invitation. Come and trust in him right now. Come and believe. In the one true Son of God, Jesus Christ, who loved you so much that he died to pay the price for all of your sins, was buried, and then was resurrected. Come, come and be saved. See, communion, communion, the Lord's Supper, <clears throat> it is a moment for those and only those who are believers. Now, now I'd would, I would even push this a little bit more. I would ask you to consider the the necessity to be baptized before participating in communion. Here's why. The Bible doesn't say be baptized and then you can have communion. But but there's a logical progression here. Baptism in the New Testament, it was the mark of confession of trusting in Jesus in his death and resurrection. It wasn't a mark. It wasn't a confession. It was the mark. It was the confession. And so it always came as the very first act of a believer in Jesus Christ. And then from there, there would be communion. There there would be no such thing as a non-baptized believer in the New Testament. At least not for long. There certainly would never have been someone who was not baptized coming to the Lord's table. Now, listen. Listen. I'm not going around with my flashlights trying it in your... Have you been baptized? Because you better not... That, that's not what I'm doing here. But I would say to you, if you've yet to be baptized this fall when we have our next baptism service, I would make sure I'm the first one in line. <laughs> don't put it off. Don't play the game. Don't, don't, don't straddle the fence. Come. Make your confession. Be part of the church. Come and be baptized. Let me, let me give it to you another way. How, how silly would it be if there was a, a couple that was about to get married, and they say, hey, our, anniver- or our, our, our marriage date is, is 15 months from now, but in three months, you know what we're going to do? We're going to celebrate our anniversary. Wait, you, your, your wedding date is 15 months from now. But in three months, a full year before your your wedding date, you're going to celebrate your anniversary. You would look at them and say, you are foolish. (laughs) This is similar to how communion and baptism works. You you come to faith in Christ, and then you have this moment of baptism, which is much like a a wedding ceremony. And then every time we share communion, it's like anniversary after anniversary where we come together and we remember. Remember? So, so who can take baptism? Or who, who can take the Lord's Supper? Who can share in it? First of all, those who are believers and, and preferably consider being consider only if you've been baptized. Secondly, though, communion is also for those who are repentant. And I'm gonna end here. There's more I can say. But verses 27 and 28 says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then so to eat the bread and drink the cup. Listen, perfection is not expected in this moment. Repentance is. Let me say that again. Perfection is not what is expected in this moment. Repentance is. One of the greatest tragedies that could ever happen is if you come and you have unrepentant sin, you have hidden sin, you have habitual sin, and you come to this moment and you don't turn away from it. Look at at these words. Examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. This is in fact these three words are where I'm gonna end with. Examine, then come. Examine. To examine yourself is just to take a moment and stop and say, God, is there anything in my life that 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 I am doing that does not please you? Take this moment to say, God, I'm sorry. God, please strengthen me so I won't walk in that anymore. God, turn my affections to be stronger for you than for any sin that I might be pursuing. Take this moment and examine yourself. Remember his forgiveness. Remember his grace and be strengthened. And then in just a few minutes, we'll share together. Why don't you do that right now? Will you just bow your head? I'm going to give you a moment between you and the Lord. If you're a believer in Christ, I'm going to ask you to prepare your heart. Examine yourself. Make sure there's nothing unrepentant. If you're not a believer in Christ, I would ask you just to to do the same thing. Maybe just go and say, God, if you're real, would you start to show me yourself? And then after just a moment, we're going to share in communion together. You know the point tonight? Very simple. The Lord's Supper is a feast where saints, where believers, where you are to be strengthened by the grace of God. This is a moment of strengthening. This is a moment of remembrance. So I invite you to take the elements right now. In, in Through the summer, we're going to continue to use these these plastic ones, but come the fall, I think we'll transition back into our previous habit. But, but let's all right now, let me just tell you, these are kind of hard to open. There's two layers. Go ahead and open them right now. Open the top one. Get the, the bread wafer out. And then open the, the bottom one, and we'll all kind of do it together to make sure we're, we're uni- united in this. I'll wait just a moment till I hear the crinkling end. Just make sure you're not the last one crinkling. Paul says that he received from the Lord, or he passed on what he received from the Lord. He says on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks. Let's start there. Let's let's bow our heads in thanks, great God in heaven. We we come to you, having wrestled with a lot of Scripture, having considered a lot of concepts and so now in this moment we come to you really just saying thank you for the opportunity to be strengthened as we remember in unity with assurance and as we proclaim your death and resurrection God thank you that you sent your son Jesus out of your great love for us and that he was willing to to sacrifice his life he was willing to die to pay the price for our sins Thank you. Thank you that in that death, he conquered death through his resurrection. And thank you that now by faith, not because of anything good in any of us, but by faith, we have hope forever and real life in Christ right now. We thank you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to honor you well as we share in your supper. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture says that Jesus took the bread. He says, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. He says, this is the new covenant of my blood says, every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. May this supper of the Lord's, may it greatly strengthen you with the grace of God.